Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We've officially made it a month with the new New York Upstate and Syracuse.com podcast. Buffalo Bills talk with Matt Perino. This is episode two on the channel, but we know we've now done four live shows on YouTube and each Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We are going to go live on YouTube with a brand new episode of the show and you can watch it live or you can get it right here on your favorite podcast platform and listen to some of the great interviews, uh, analysis and discussion that we have about your Buffalo Bills. Today's episode, uh, we went to the national scene. CBS Sports Draft analyst Ryan Wilson joined myself and my tag team partner Ryan Talbot, and we spent almost an hour diving into this draft. Ryan Wilson has put out a couple of mock drafts. Actually, he's put out quite a few, 32 over the course of the college football season and then into the offseason as we've moved to this point. Uh, And he put out recently a seven-round mock draft, and this week he put out a two-round mock draft. And we dove into both of those in great detail. We pelted Ryan with question after question on a bunch of prospects that Bill's Mafia have been discussing for weeks now. Uh, The interview was fun. Uh, It it was live, uh, but we're going to bring it to you now. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, to the podcast here. We will be uh, coming out with one every week on Wednesday, at least once a week. Thank you so much for your support. And here is episode two of Bill's Talk with Matt Perino. Special guest, Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports Draft Expert. Ryan, how are you? And thank you so much for joining us. Matt, Ryan, I am doing great. NFL Draft is right around the corner. It feels like it will never get here for a variety of reasons. (laughs) Uh, mostly because uh, I, I do countless mock drafts and I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day. But I'm glad to be here, man. I'm glad to talk some football and talk about the Buffalo Bills. That's a great point. Like, what is this time of year for you? I feel like it's like for somebody that covers the draft 365, what is this week traditionally like for you? This stretch has actually been crazy bonkers. And I've actually said this to people. Um, my work is getting in the way of my work. Uh, so I do a lot of uh, CBS Sports HQ, which is um, our 24-7 streaming sports network uh, online at, what is it, CBSSportsHQ.com. So I do a lot of that, and which I enjoy doing, of course. I do uh, some writing, uh, mostly mock drafts with some other stuff. And after the combine, I don't have a lot of time to myself. Like, I don't have time to necessarily – uh, carved out in my day to, to watch uh, some players that I'm interested in watching. I have to find time to do that maybe late at night or early in the morning, whereas from May until 
January, I, I have that time available and, and it's sort of, I figured out after doing this for a few years now, I have to sort of have most of the guys done that I want to watch. And I try to watch close to 300 guys, have to have most of those guys done by the senior bowl and then pick and choose to, to rewatch some guys or maybe catch up on some sort of late, uh, late in the process sleepers, if you will. So yeah, it's, it's crazy right now. Um, between talking to, to you guys and I'll do radio and then I'll do video and I'll do writing, but it's a good crazy. And I mean, don't get the impression that I'm complaining. I actually love my job, which is, you know, incredibly fortunate to have this job and, and, and I, and I like doing it, but it's just sort of funny that, um, I want to be able to watch some more players right now and maybe do a little more research on the guys that I like, but it's incredibly hard to find that time to do it. Oh, I have this at the top of our uh, show rundown today because I got got a confession to make here. I've probably done maybe 10 times as many mock drafts as I've ever done in my life the last two months. And I have to sit here and think, you put out two in the last week. So how many mock drafts do you do from the course of when you start, when you put out your first, to till draft night? Yeah, that, that's a, an interesting question, Matt. Uh, because I, I do one literally every week, starting with the, the, the beginning of college football. So I'm on mock draft 32. Mock draft 33 will come out next Monday. In the last month or so, I've done three round mock drafts just to spice it up a little bit. And last week, and, and you, you, you've talked about this before, uh, I did a seven round mock draft. And I, I do not recommend recommend a seven round mock draft for anyone unless you are being punished for something you've done. It is a, oh my gosh, it's a ton of work. And the thing is, and, and you know this, and, and my drafts are basically a drug. You know that nothing is going to be what you think it's going to be right now on, on draft night in the first round, let alone round six. But you can't not look at it. And, um, you know, that's part of the appeal. You try to figure out what teams are thinking, what teams will do. The trading scenarios are, are bonkers. I do that occasionally, but not very often, just because at the end of the day, you have no idea. Uh, you can get a little overboard with it. You can, you know, try to manufacture trades that include players currently on, on contract, like Odell Beckham, for example. And then how far down that road do you want to go? But uh, the long answer is I've done 32 of these things. I have two more to go. I'm going to do two next week because why not? And then um, you might think I'll be done. I will not be done. The following Monday, I'll have the 2021 mock draft coming out. <laughs> and then I'm taking a week off. I'm not even kidding. Now, Ryan, with free agency, how much does that uh, change your process? So, for instance, I did a mock draft where I had a cornerback for the Bills in round two. And then probably an hour after that, they signed EJ Gaines. They had already had Josh Norman. And it kind of felt like, well, throw that one out. So on a week-by-week basis when you're making these, how much does free agency kind of play a role into that in terms of, okay, I have to go back and look at what all 32 teams did, even if it's a one-round mock draft? Yeah, it's funny, Ryan. You sort of go through the process during the fall where you're moving NFL teams up and down the, the draft order based on whether they're winning or losing that week. So by December, December 31st, end of the season, the NFL season, you're glad just to have those teams set. So then from December 31st until free agency, you're actually bored because you're doing the exact same teams in the exact same order, virtually filling the, the pretty much the same needs. So I have never been more excited uh, this spring, perhaps, than when free agency begun began. So I can see, okay, the teams are filling this need. This team's, These teams are filling th- these needs. I can go back and, and recalibrate the mock draft and have something different to talk about because, you know, as we've sort of established, I'm doing this literally every seven days. And uh, so the free agency was a welcome uh, sort of off-season Christmas for me, uh, and it certainly changed the way you do your mock drafts. But something noteworthy, 
the Jets, for example, who are in the AFC East, obviously, they signed a couple of offensive linemen in, in the in free agency. One of them being George Fant, who isn't very good, and and I think um, that's no big secret. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the Jets won't take a, an offensive tackle should he be there at number eleven. I mean, conventional wisdom, and it's fun to say, okay, they'll take Ceedee Lamb or Jerry Judy or maybe even Henry, Henry Ruggs at eleven because Sam Darnold needs that help. But if Andrew Thomas is there or Tristan Wirfs is there, Makai Becton may, maybe they may still take an offensive tackle because at the end of the day, Sam Darnold getting hit fifty times isn't such a great proposition if he's your franchise quarterback for anything more than a few years. And you could t- you mentioned the the draft uh, mock draft for next year right after this one is over, and that brings up an interesting point when you're talking about the Jets particularly if they do go offensive line with their first round pick this year, that next year's wide receiver class where it may not be as deep as this year from what I'm aware of, there are some, some potential, you know, home run hitters in that draft that they might be able to turn around and get that next year. Yeah. Deep dive. That's right. So Jamar chase, of course, of LSU, he'll be near the top. Uh, there's Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. Who's going to be really good. There's uh Let's see, Amon Ra St. Brown, who's Equimanius Brown. He plays at US Equimanius Brown's brother. He plays at USC. Those are three guys off the top of my head who have a chance to, to be really good if they have good seasons next year. They'll be in the first round conversation at least starting in the summer. We'll see what what, what pans out. But to your point, Matt, this offensive line class is, is pretty deep. But the top four guys, I think, have separated themselves for the from the rest of the class at offensive tackle. And, and if the 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 line, excuse me, the Jets feel like they they need to get one of these guys early, and with that off the wide receiver class being even deeper, and they can circle back and get a wide receiver later. That may be the direction they chose choose to go, even though they've signed a couple of offensive tackles and offensive uh, interior guys uh, in free agency. What do you make of all of these mock draft machines? And do you have any that you? that you use as a you know professional mock drafter, if you will. Um, because I've I've spent the last couple of weeks in quarantine here trying out a bunch of them. Obviously the draft network has a has one that's pretty uh widely used. Uh I, I did one it was called firstpick.com where you can actually do trades and trades get offered to you, which I thought was a cool like Madden like feature. But for you, uh, a a person that's doing mock drafts all the time, do you use any of these? Uh, I, I do. And I love them. I do them solely for, for pleasure. Like to, just to see what I can do. I'm a Steelers fan, um, full disclosure, and they don't have a ton of picks this year. So I'll run through real quick. I'll use uh, the pro football network one. Cause it's pretty fast and go through the Steelers pick picks in three or four minutes just to see what I can do. I, I don't know if their rankings of players is necessarily super accurate as the NFL might feel it is, but Hey, the upside is the Steelers get a, a steal in every single round. So I'm okay with that. But in terms of like when I do a seven round mock or even when I do a three round mock, I'll do the I'll use the draftnetwork.com's mock draft machine uh, because it's a little more it's a little more in depth. Uh, it, it provides a few more um, bells and whistles, if you will. And I don't use it to pick the players. I use it to make sure I know who's available and who isn't available. So because th- there's nothing worse, by the way, than doing a mock draft and having the same player go twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter will let you know quickly that you're a moron because you're <laughs> twice for two different teams. Hey, man, I've been up 12 hours. Give me a break. So I like to use the draft network because it'll let me know who's been selected, where they've been selected, and I don't have to worry about uh, double picking a guy. Um, so that's primarily what I use it for. But it, it's a great resource uh, in terms of uh, all the work those guys do there. But that, their mock draft machine is, is probably the best. I know PFF came out with one recently. I, I've looked at that a little bit. Um, but I think in terms of uh, front-end user experience, I think the Draft Network has, um, has, a, has a foothold on on having the best one now. But, you know, 
that will probably change as, as these things get more and more um, sort of, what's the word, uh, precise in terms of what, what users want to do. So as we transition, I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, uh, of just draft week and, and, and mock drafts and everything like that. But let's transition a little bit to, you know, what we're going to dive into here in this, in this, this 2020 draft. And specifically from a Bills perspective, I wanted to get your thoughts. You went and, and saw the Bills one time in person this year. We were talking a little bit before the show started. You saw them play the Patriots. And, you know, as somebody that lives in uh, central New York, uh, familiar with what's been going on and the, 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 the way this roster has been rebuilt. So if you look at the Bills and Josh Allen from a 30,000 foot uh, vantage point over the last three years since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have gotten here, what is where are you sitting right now? on uh, how bullish are you on this team, this quarterback going into 2020 and the immediate future in the next couple of years? I, I love Sean. For, full disclosure, I went to college with Sean McDermott. So I, um, I, I've known him uh, from a distance from a, for a long time. I talked to him at the Panthers Broncos Super Bowl. So I think that was January, 2016 when he was the D coordinator for the Panthers. And we talked for a long time, mostly about, about college. Um, and that's on recently, recently at the, uh, at the combine. Um, and, uh, he was a little busy. He didn't, he didn't have much time. To <laughs> That's okay. He, he's got a job to do, but I love the job he and Brandon Bean have done. Uh, I love the roster. I love the way this defense plays for Sean McDermott. Um, I, I love that the offense is improving. Um, and they have playmakers outside and Cole Beasley and John Brown. Uh, they got Stefan Diggs, which I think is a great get. I love Dawson Knox last year coming out of the draft. He played at Ole Miss in a sort of a weird system. Obviously, everyone knows that uh, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf was there. So, were there, so Dawson Knox didn't get used a lot, but we saw glimpses last year uh, of the of his potential. Um, I think the offensive line is is has a chance to 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 be good and it continues to improve. I love Devin Singletary. Um, last year, uh, I don't remember where exactly I had him ranked, but I liked him a lot more than Daryl Henderson, who ended up going in the third round to the Rams. I didn't get the love for Daryl Henderson coming out, but I, I loved what Devin Singletary was doing um, in, in college, and, and he sort of we saw glimpses of that last year. Is he a three down back? That's another question. And, and, you know, I'm assuming Frank Gore won't play forever. So I don't think he's coming back, mm -hmm. but if you got Devin Singletary, some help. I think that he would appreciate it and everyone else would too. Um, so Josh Allen, he's had his ups and downs. I mean, there's, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He struggled as, as a rookie. I feel like I think he got a lot better last year and um, we saw glimpses of, of him being really good. And then we saw some of the things we saw, in the previous year that left us shaking our head, but, but I think he's going to continue to get better. And here's the thing, like there's some similarities between him and Justin Herbert in terms of uh, their, their physical skills and their arm strength. And, and, you know, the, the questions about what they did in college and would that translate Josh Allen will probably never be the most accurate uh, quarterback in, in the NFL, but he has shown that he's going to get better. And he he's done that. And, and I think unlike Justin Herbert, and the first thing Justin Herbert said to me when I talked to him at the senior bowl you know, I asked the typical question, what are NFL teams wanting to see from you this week? He didn't mention anything about three-step drops or getting the ball out quickly or, or throwing this pattern better than this pattern. The only thing he talked about was I need to show them that I can be a better leader. And I think Josh, uh, Justin Herbert's a great kid, and, and there you can't say enough good things about the person that he is. But the fact that all these teams have questions about his ability to lead is an interesting one, and I don't think that's something that anyone's ever said about Josh Allen. And um, he's a fiery guy. You don't see it because he's sort of all shucks when, when he's talking to the media. But he gets <laughs> not, after. Not when he's talking to Barstool, Ryan. When, when, when right. Barstool gets him, he's a little bit more loosey-goosey. He'll talk about the shorts, shotgun a beer. But yeah, yeah, with us, you're right. 
yeah, Barstool, they, they have an, they, they, those guys are secretly really good interviewers and, and yeah. that's on them. But, um, yeah, I think that people sell jo Josh Allen short on, on that aspect of his game. And if your teammates believe in you, that goes a long way. And, and I think next year or the 2020, 2020 season, you get a running back and, um, maybe a little more offensive line help. And, and I think Josh Allen has a chance to, to take that next step. And look, I'm on the Bills bandwagon to win the division. I liked him a lot last year. The only issue I've ever had with Sean McDermott in Buffalo is the whole Nathan Peter. I didn't get that at all. Yeah. And you, you could talk to me for the next 100 years, and I wouldn't understand what that was all about. Um, I can understand not loving Tyrod. I, yeah, I mean, he's extremely boring as a quarterback. I understand that. And Josh Allen is, is probably a 180, and that's not a bad thing. But everything else that, that Bean and McDermott have done, it's hard to argue with, especially on the – look, man, they went to Pittsburgh, and they they whooped up on the Steelers. And, and yeah, you can say Duck Hodges or, or Mason, whoever was starting the game was the quarterback. That doesn't matter. In a typical Buffalo Bills versus Pittsburgh Steelers uh, game in Pittsburgh, the Bills probably aren't winning that game. That I thought was not a turning point because they were playing well up to that point, but it put a big win for them, and, and I'm sure – something Sean McDermott told them they could do well in advance. And he proved that it, they proved together they could do it. And, and I expect that to spill over into next season. No, no, Ryan, you mentioned Josh Allen and his accuracy. That's something that a lot of people bring up. You know, one thing we've seen over the last few years is the philosophy of Brendan Bean and uh, kind of changed in terms of the types of wide receivers that he wanted to get Josh Allen. First year, it was Kelvin Benjamin, who, you know, not even in the league anymore, all of a sudden, he's gone to these guys that can create separation because they're great route runners. You have John Brown, you have Cole Beasley, now you have Stephon Diggs. How important do you think it is for that change in philosophy, and how, how important do you think that is in terms of helping Josh Allen take that next step, even in 2020? I mean, that's a great point, Ryan. Kelvin Benjamin is a, a tight end, and he might be closer to a right tackle. Um, he was there. He wasn't getting open, and he had a huge year as a rookie, I believe, in Carolina, but then he, I think he tore his ACL, and, and then I never really sort of picked back up for him. I think Kelvin Benjamin is a tough target for just about anybody. Uh, those type of receivers, and, and it's funny you mentioned him because for the longest time, T. Higgins was a popular landing spot uh, in Buffalo uh, before they got Stephon Diggs. And I like T. Higgins, but at 6'4", and sort of the pro uh, the, the poor pro day numbers that he had, I don't know if he's a good fit in Buffalo. He's not going to create separation. He's a, he's a big guy. He's a high-point catch guy. But I don't know if that plays to, to Josh Allen's strengths. It's, it's a lot easier to, to, get, to hit Cole Beasley or John Brown, even though, you know, if they stand on each other's shoulders, they're four feet tall, but they're getting open. And, and I think that's, as you point out, there's something to that as opposed to just being a big receiver. Because I think what happened is Megatron came out in 07 and everyone said, okay, we need big receivers, except Megatron ran a 4.35 or whatever he ran. And he was uh, an absolute freak, a once in a lifetime top player. So those big receivers, Six four six five. Those guys aren't running four threes typically, and, and even more than that, they're not getting in and out of cuts like you have with the smaller receivers. That's why I love the Stephon Diggs trade uh, so much. And, and Bean pointed this out. He said at twenty two, I wasn't sure if the receiver receiver we wanted would be there, so we went out and got one. I have no issue using a first round pick on Stephon Diggs. He's absolutely worth it, and I'm sure that uh, Josh Allen was quite happy to see that too. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about uh, running backs uh, pretty heavy as we move along here, and I think that that's another interesting discussion because I think a lot of people cling to some old school uh, lines of thinking when it comes to what you need on your roster. Like you look at San Francisco, you know there was no uh, you know throwback 
third down banger type player on that roster. They went with three multi-dimensional running backs that all had speed, all had the ability to get outside. Uh, Raheem Mostert was showed that he could run in between his tackles outside. I don't think that you need to pigeonhole yourself in 2020 in the NFL. You need to get guys that fit your offense. And so I think you make a great point there. But in terms of Brandon Bean and when he, you know, so much time is spent by him talking about his philosophy in the draft. And that is no matter what first, second, third round, I'm going best player available. I built this roster particularly so I can go into a draft and do that. I think the bills are set up better than most teams to be able to do that. But at 54 now without a first round pick, could there be any player that's still on the board? That's the best player at his position or the second best player on his position when the bills draft at 54. Yeah, that's a good question. So it sort of depends on on maybe your draft board, I guess. But a guy that that's sort of uh, divisive in terms of how people view him is Marlon Davidson, the defensive end out of Auburn. He played alongside Derrick Brown. Um, he, he can play five techniques, so he can play outside the tackle. He can kick inside, play a little three techniques. So he's versatile, but he's, he's not great at any one thing. And, and what you're doing there is you're taking a guy – with up, upside to be really good. He's a high motor guy and, and all those, those cliches that we'd like to use. And um, I think he's going to be a really good player, but is he number two on the board? And he's not better than Chase Young, obviously. He's not better than Caleb on Chase on, but he's versatile. And I actually like him a little more than AJ Epinesa uh, from Iowa, who is bigger than, than, um, than Marlon Davidson. Uh, Epinesa is like 6'5", 275, but he didn't test well. And when you watch Epinesa play, he sh- he'll flash. Uh, two or three plays, and then you won't see anything for 10 plays. Marlon Davidson shows up, and um, obviously the SEC, he's playing week in and week out, doing well there. So he's a guy that that can do a couple things for you, and if you find the right spot for him, and I feel like outside is where he's probably at his best. Maybe you kick him inside, third down pass rush situation, something like that. That's an option. Now, another position, and you sort of hinted at it, it, it running back. You can get the second best running back in, in midway, middle through the first, middle through the second round, excuse me, but the question becomes, do you want to do that? And this running back class, like the top five or six guys are stacked and, and they are all fun to watch. And they're probably all going to go in the second round, maybe early third round. But to your point, Matt, uh, Andy Reid has never taken a running back in the first round. And sometimes in these mock drafts, you'll see one going 32 just because it'd be super fun to see DeAndre Swift playing in the, behind that offense, uh, offensive line with Patrick Mahomes. And I think the only running back he's taken in round two was uh, LaShawn McCoy. Who the Bills, whose Bills, Bills fans are, are certainly familiar with. So he understands, and we saw it last year with Damian Williams. You can find guys to fit your system that don't have to necessarily be day one or day two picks. That said, man, if, I, if I'm if i the Bills and I see Jonathan Taylor sitting there, I'm going to think long and hard about I love the idea of Jonathan Taylor with Devin Singletary. And again, that makes life easier for Josh Allen. Josh Allen isn't Patrick Mahomes, so maybe Patrick Mahomes doesn't need that running game, but I think the running game helps – Josh Allen in terms of making him more accurate, making play action work better and all those things. Um, you don't have to take a running back in round two for the Bills. There might be an edge rusher there that you like, but um, oh, there are a lot of teams that I would love to see take running backs in round two, which is a weird thing to say because we're in this anti-running back uh, day and age. I've had some, I had some conversations in Indianapolis, uh, you know, that leads me to believe that there's some interest on the Bills and in Cam Akers. So he's a guy that I think, if you are, if you really like him and you want to potentially maybe jump 
up in round three. Maybe he's not uh, a targeted 54. How high do you have to go or do you have to get back into the second round if you want anchors? Because it seems like his stock is is jumping a little bit. Yeah, he's a fun guy. So he had some drops last year, but he can catch the ball. And at the, the end of the day, here's the thing with Cam Akers. He be, played behind a truly atrocious offensive line, and he did a lot of heavy lifting, and he did it at a high level. He did it consistently. Uh, again, he's a fun guy. So it's DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jonathan Taylor, uh, Cam Akers, uh, J.K. Dobbins, and even Zach Moss, who has an injury history out of Utah. So those are all guys you can get. I do – so let's see. So – I love the Chargers taking a running back in round two just because I think it would be funny to replace Melvin Ingram with Jonathan Taylor. But they pick at 37. Um, that would be funny. Uh, the Colts don't need a running back necessarily. The, the Buccaneers could take a running back in rounds two or three, which I think would help Tom Brady. Their running game hasn't been great. The Steelers might take a running back at 49. The Ravens could take a running back. They have two uh, second-round picks, excuse me. Um the Texans have Dave Johnson, but at the end of the day, do we know what David Johnson is? So they maybe they take a running back around too. So those are just a few of the teams, not even mentioning the Bills. So maybe Cam Akers slips because, you know, the, the other math we're doing is, all right, does someone want Jacob Eason? Does someone want Jalen Hurts in round two? Will there be another run in offensive tackles in round two after the, the run in round, round one? And then, of course, all these wide receivers are going to keep going off the board. So somebody has to get pushed down. Um, I think there's going to be a run on safeties in round two as well. So – I don't know if he'll be there at 86, Cam Akers. Um, Zach Moss might be, but again, you're weighing the injury history. And I, I think one thing we don't take into consideration enough as media and fans is that NFL teams take injuries pretty seriously. Like Terrell Lewis, the edge rusher out of Alabama, had a pretty good season. ACL injury in 2018, elbow injury in 2017, didn't play a lot. Those are concerns. So in terms of Cam Akers at 86, I think you would have to trade up. And then the question is, do you want to part with some picks this year or next year perhaps? to get up to probably close to the top of the round in round three. Um, Redskins, Bengals, Redskins, Lions. The Lions might want to run. That's another team that might want to running back. All they have is on Johnson right now. So maybe you're talking about 68, 69, 70. So you're moving up 15, 18 spots. Um, if the Bills want to do it, go for it. Um, I just wonder what the cost is. And um, I would have no issue doing it to get Cam Akers, though. So you mentioned injuries a minute ago. In the overall view of the draft, how much of a role is that going to play in, in pushing some prospects in years past that may have gone round one, round two, maybe into round three or even into day three, just because of everything going on now with COVID-19, teams not being able to get those medicals, being able to, to get the information that they necessarily need. Could that push some premier talent down? I, I know that Brendan Bean has kind of said, round two, I'm not going to go after some guys with some medical red flags. Round three, maybe consider it. And then day three is when he kind of says that's the kind of chant where he would kind of chance it uh, as a GM. But what what are you, what's your take on injuries and how that could play a role in pushing some premier talent down this year? You know, it's funny, Ryan. We'll find out pretty quickly when uh, Tua gets drafted. We'll see exactly how much the Dolphins or whoever takes them are really concerned about injuries. Uh, Tua is an exception, obviously. And, you know, they released all these videos of him running around looking great. Um I'm not worried about that. I would be worried if they released a video and he's short hopping passes or throwing the ball through the windows of, of the gym where he's working out. So I think it's good news that he seems to be progressing. But if you're the Dolphins, here's the math I'm doing. So first round picks for wide receivers work out half the time. That's I think that's the math. You have three first rounders at the Dolphins. Let's say they think that two is going to work out in terms of being a franchise quarterback. His chances are 33%. You roll the dice. You have three first round picks. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh uh, Josh Rosen, who clearly you're not crazy about, take him at five, and whatever happens, happens. You took a risk. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. Now, 
the other injuries, those are different stories. I think you're you're not getting the impact from a Terrell Lewis, who I mentioned, for example, uh, who has who has an injury history because he plays edge rusher. Zach Moss, I mentioned, has had an injury history. He's a running back, and we know that running backs have a two or three or four year life cycle, and then you're moving on to the next one in, in most cases. So um, that's a consideration, and, and I think NFL teams, as you point out, Ryan, are, are taking that in, in terms of uh, creating their draft board. Uh, I will say this. One of the upsides to not having these 30 visits, uh, and I, I had a scout tell me this uh, a few weeks ago, is that the scouts do all the work. And at the end of the day, they're the, the front line of, of figuring out who's good and who isn't. So they've seen guys for one or two years. And um, I had one tell me, sometimes what happens when you have these 30 visits and these guys come in, whether it's um, guys who battle injuries or guys with, with, with off-field issues, uh, they come in and charm the, the coach and the GM and the owner, and that – ends up superseding what the scout has been telling them for weeks or maybe months about this player. It ain't a great fit because of some off-field issues or, or whatever. Maybe he's a great person, uh, but not a great football player. And there have been instances where, where these guys have been have been able to sell themselves through a, a basically a 24-hour uh, meet and greet, and maybe that alleviates some of that. And we've heard actually people say that maybe these drafts will be better this year because teams aren't being blinded by uh, someone who may be a great actor, for example. But I agree with Bean. Um, cautious on day one and day two with the injuries, because there's no reason to take a guy if he can't play. Day three, go crazy. You could get a first-round talent in day three who's fallen because of injuries, and if he works out, wonderful. If you get two or three years out of him, wonderful. If it doesn't work out, it'll cost you a fifth or sixth-round pick, and that that was worth, the, worth rolling the dice. So we had um... – a question uh, in the chat here, and uh, thank you everybody for jumping on with us live. We always appreciate you. We'll answer a couple of these as we go. Um, with the depth that the Bills have been able to get, do you think they will try to move up, knowing that they have a ton of depth in the first two, into the first round or even in the second round? My personal opinion on that is that I think because of the draft capital that Bean had to uh, part with to get Stefan Diggs, it's going to be a little too rich for his blood. And that first round pick to him, you hear him talk about, you know, these picks and, and, and the value that he places on them. He, every time we talk to him, whether it be before the season, in the season, after the season, it's always comes back to building through the draft. So he's going to be sitting on his hands and he said, joked around, he's going to play videos, highlight videos of Stefan Diggs throughout the first round to kind of keep his cool and keep his calm. But I think that, that if there's a guy that they see in the second round to jump up, it probably makes sense, but because of the depth of some of these positions, I think it probably makes a little bit more more sense in the third. Are we talking wide receiver, Matt? Anything, anything. Oh, okay. To yeah. jump up, right? Just to stay put. Got you. Yeah, no, I think that's right because again, it costs you a lot. And then you still have the second and third round picks, and you can get a lot of good players with with those two picks, guys that can contribute right away. Especially if you're drafting in some of these deep positions. We talked about running back. There'll be edge rushers there if they want to get them guys that can contribute pretty early. Um, so, yeah, I think that's right. I wouldn't trade up because I think Bean probably would have thought about done that math before he got Stephon Diggs, um, although I do give him credit for waiting until now to do it because the price uh, apparently was a lot steeper during the season, uh, understandably, if you're the Vikings. So um, Amari Cooper was two first-round picks. So to get Stephon Diggs for one first-round pick, it seems like a no-brainer, especially given the, the maturation that you want to see or continue to see in Josh Allen. Okay, so uh, another little transition here. So you've put out uh, when we first uh, set up this podcast, you just putting out your seven round mock, uh, which was uh, a lot of heavy lifting. We all applaud your uh, your diligence there. Uh, I really like going through it. 
Um, but you released your um, second mock draft uh, this week or your two round mock draft this week. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit because you had uh, a, an edge rusher this time around as opposed to Jonathan Taylor last week. Talk a little bit about him because uh, Zuniga, I think is how you pronounce it. You had the Bills getting him in the third round. Now you have him get, getting them in the second round. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how these teams feel about all these edge rushers after you get after 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 you get past Chase Young and Caleb on Chase on uh, Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee is a guy that people like Jonathan Grenard, who is Jabari Zuniga's teammate at Florida, is a guy that people like um, AJ Epinesa we talked about Marlon Davis we talked about. So we'll see where they fall. Zuniga is another guy who's battled injuries. So he had a high ankle sprain last year. I think he only played in five or six games. But when he plays, he flashes. He he's strong at the point of attack. He has really good hand usage. Uh, I think he ran a four six eight or something to the combine. So he he can move a little bit. He's a good athlete. It's just about keeping him healthy and helping him grow into that position. And he feels like a situational pass rusher um, in year one. And, and then you go from there. And, and if anyone can get the most out of, of young players, I feel like Sean McDermott's really good at doing that. So day two feels like where Zuniga will go. Whether it's round two or round three, I'm not certain. But again, and Ryan talked about this, if injuries are a concern for NFL teams, maybe he slips to, to day three. Maybe he's a fourth-round pick. So it's hard to sort of put your finger on exactly where he may go, but but I like the the potential he has there based on what he's he's shown on tape. But again, how's that injury? Is a high school sprain something that NFL teams will be worried about? Uh, he only played a few games last year. But but I like his fit, and, and I like the, the potential that he brings uh, as a situational pass rush guy in, day, in in year one. Very cool. So, uh, Talbot, uh, I want to bounce this off you because, you know, as us who cover the bills, the, the scenario here that plays out is a pass rusher, uh, as opposed to some offensive weapons that are on the board here. JK Dobbins is a name that bills fans are. It seems like momentum is starting to develop there. Uh, Kyle Duggar, uh, somebody that I know the bills are high on, and, uh, you know, in that range at 54, uh, some people think it's a little bit too high for what you're going to be asking him to do. But because of what they like, the versatility, what he brings, he could be an option. LaVisca Chenault on the board, T Higgins, from your perspective, if they were to go edge rusher at that spot, what, what do you agree with that? Or would you like them to go a different direction? Uh, I, I think an edge rusher makes a lot of sense there when you when you look at what they currently have. You have Mario Addison, who's been very productive and still is playing at a high level, but he, he will be 33 years old when the season begins. You have Jerry Hughes on the other side, over 30 years old, I believe two years left on the contract. You have Trent Murphy entering the final year of his deal. So they have some young guys on the roster. They have Mike Love. They have Daryl Williams, seventh-round pick, who actually played a decent amount of defensive snaps and on special teams last year. Are either of them the long-term answer in terms of uh, a youth option off the edge? I'm not so sure. So I think edge rusher should be high up there because I also feel like that's something where after round two, round three, I think there's a big drop-off. So if you can get a guy that you think can be your workhorse of the future and you don't have to really throw him into the fire, so to speak, this year, you can ease him into the lineup with those three defensive ends that you currently have, I think an edge rusher makes a lot of sense at 54. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I'm looking over some more names. Um, like Curtis Weaver's a guy at Boise State who was crazy productive at Boise State, but athletically he he's not the the athlete we've seen from Terrell Lewis, for example, or certainly Chase Young. Um, and scouts question, okay, the competition Boise State was facing, how does that translate to the NFL? 
He's a guy, Josh Uche out of Michigan is a guy that I actually like a lot. He's undersized, 240-ish. He probably played at. He probably weighs more than that now. Uh, again, situational pass rush guy, quick off the edge. Um, Zach Bond, I don't think he'll be there uh, in late round two. There's conversations he could go late round one, early round two. Um, and then Julian Aquar is another another kid out of out of um, Notre Dame. His, his brother plays for for uh, the Lions right now. Um, he's raw, but he's extremely strong. He had an injury. He broke his his uh, leg, I think, late in the season. Um, he's healthy now. But um, you're right, Ryan. So after the handful of guys, then you're doing some projecting. Then you have to do a lot of coaching up, and, and then you have to figure out Alex Highsmith, for example, out of Charlotte, is a smallish school guy, but a lot of upside. Um, but how does that translate, and how quickly does he get on the field? Kyle Duggar at 54 uh, would be interesting. I was actually talking to an NFL guy about him the other day, and the issue isn't the athleticism because if you saw him in the Senior Bowl, um, that stood out. It, it and, and sort of the math you have to do when you watch a kid from a small school is not that he's faster than everyone else because clearly he's going to be faster than everyone else, but is he quicker off the snap to read what's happening is he quicker off the snap to be where he needs to be than everyone else? Because you have to use some tools to translate small school guy D2 and, and figure out how that works against better competition and ultimately in the NFL. Uh, I think it would be not a reach at, at 54 because athletically he is there, but you have to figure out, okay, how long will it take him to figure out what he needs to do after dominating for three or four years uh, at the Division II level? It, the, the one appealing thing about a guy like Duger or Jeremy Chin, a guy that the Bills did a FaceTime uh, video with early on, is they promoted a coach internally to big nickel coach. So that, that's not a, a normal positional coach that you see on most NFL teams. It kind of makes you think that that's something that they could be utilizing more starting in 2020. They have Saran Neal, a special team standout, but when he's been on the field on defense, he's, he's kind of held his own as well. He, um, uh, uh, one of those players there, especially with this new role that I think more NFL teams are starting to utilize. I think that's what makes them more appealing at this point and where you could start to see more teams kind of transition to that big nickel defense is almost more of like a base defense in this day and age. You mentioned, uh, Ryan Wilson, you mentioned, uh, you know, Josh Uche and, uh, obviously Terrell Lewis, who are both the senior bowl. And I think that one of the real interesting parts of this particular draft is the senior bowl is going to carry so much more weight than it has in years past. And I think that, you know, for a guy like Brandon Bean, who already values those four-year players at the college level, getting a chance to meet with a couple of them, Uche being one of them in uh, uh, Mobile, I think that could be a scenario where there's more comfort there than there will be in other spots. And, you know, obviously uh, we, I think we heard one of the uh, uh, Mark Dominic who did his conference call yesterday, the former bucks GM, he'd spoke about it yesterday, you know, without those 30 visits that teams are going to have to go off of a lot of what they saw in mobile. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is um, like COVID-19 was a thing when the senior bowl and the super bowl were going on, but it just wasn't a thing here. And no one was forward. I'm assuming forward thinking enough to say, all right, let's really, uh, hunker down on, on these on these interviews, although they're they're pretty thorough as it is. So you had those interviews at Senior Bowl, had those interviews at the Combine, obviously, and it certainly benefited um, the Lions and the Bengals, who were the coaches of those teams. So we'll, we'll see how that translates if, if if the Lions and Bengals take take guys from from those Senior Bowl practices. Um, worth noting, Justin Herbert was uh, the quarterback for Zach Taylor and the Bengals. 
I don't think they're taking Justin Herbert. That would be a huge upset. But um, there were there were guys there that I'm sure they'll, they'll have their eye on. And, and seeing those guys up close and personal, and you know this from being at the Senior Bowl, it's a huge difference than watching them on television. And you can see the ball explode out of Justin Herbert's hand or Jordan Love's hand. You can see Shea Patterson, you know, miss wide receiver after wide receiver in person. Uh, I shouldn't be dunking on Shea Patterson. I feel like <laughs> he didn't have a great senior bowl. But you see guys like Chase Claypool who, you know, showed up nine pounds heavy at the combine, but he was there, I think, 229 or something in the senior bowl, dominating guys. And you can't necessarily see that when you're when you're watching um watching these guys on, on YouTube or on on television. So that's critically important. And maybe even more important, and we don't have access to this, but the interviews, talking to these kids, seeing what they think, see how smart they are uh, football-wise and, and everything else. So to your point, Matt, I think that's a good one and more critical this year than it has been in a long, long time. Speaking of Chase Claypool, he's another guy that a lot of Bills fans are Notre Dame fans. Uh, you know, Ryan uh, is a big Notre Dame fan, so he uh, he likes a lot of these Notre Dame guys. But Claypool is interesting because I think he could serve – multiple purposes and position flexibility you know is the drum that is banged in western new york all year long and so i think you could bring him in be a compliment to dawson knox i know he's a receiver but could also be in receiver sets put outside he can be that contested catch physical presence and he plays special teams do you think 54 is too high and could you see a scenario where the bills maybe trade down a few spots and are still able to get him in the second round. I don't think 54 is too high because I mean, there could be 10 wide receivers that go mm -hmm. in the first two rounds, which is bonkers. I don't think that's too high. Um, he may be there in the third round. You just, you don't know how teams feel about him. Uh, I know a few teams like him as a, a tight end, which is sort of crazy. I talked to a, a former GM today, actually, who, who likes him as a tight end and not a blocking tight end. He's not going to be Gronk, but more in the Evan Ingram mold. And if you're getting that, Paired with Dawson Knox and the special team versatility, that feels like you know second rounder there. But so I talked to Cole Komet, uh, the tight end from Notre Dame, and, and I talked to Troy Pride, the cornerback at the at the um at combine, and both of them seemed surprised that Claypool showed up at two thirty eight. We later found out um, from Brady Quinn, as it turns out, that uh, Claypool had chugged like you know ten gallons of water on the plane ride, and that's how he gained that weight. I don't know what he weighs now. I don't know what his plan is. But they were both surprised that, that Claypool would, would um, consider a move to tight end. And, and they didn't, based on how you played a wide receiver, and, and they didn't see it happening. But if NFL teams feel otherwise, maybe he kicks inside for for uh, certain packages. And if nothing else, I don't think he played a lot in the slot. I'm trying to remember at Notre Dame. I think he was mostly outside. But if you're planning on kicking him inside the tight end, he'll have to learn how to play in the slot. And the added bonus of, of being a special teamer certainly doesn't hurt when you're, when you're a rookie or a second-year player. How would you see Claypool fitting in, in here in Buffalo? You know, last year in the playoff game, you had Duke uh, Duke Williams out on the field, and the Bills ended up targeting him more than any other receiver in the game, which uh, w was pretty wild because he was inactive for all about half the season, and then he all of a sudden he played in the finale. They, they saw enough to say, we're going to put him in the playoff game as well. So, you know, big-bodied guy just like Duke is, but obviously a lot more – uh, athleticism, a lot more talent, you know, personally, in my opinion. So if he was to come in and be the number four receiver in this offense, how do you think he would? Yeah. I mean, I love the idea. Of, in with Brown and Stephon Diggs. 
Yeah, I would love the idea of seeing him in the slot if that's something he would feel comfortable doing. I mean, I would imagine the slot would be a lot easier for him than than playing tight end, something he hasn't done. But I think about it this way. So, you know, slot receivers historically feel like smaller guys, but Larry Fitzgerald ain't small. Juju Smith-Schuster ain't small, and those guys are matchup nightmares in the middle of the field. And you add that with John Brown, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, and De- Devin Singletary coming out of the backfield, and possibly uh, D- DK uh, J.K. Dobbins or, or whomever coming out of the backfield. Uh, that's that's a scary proposition. And again, it, it makes life easier for Josh Allen. It, it should make his reads easier. He's a huge target chase. Claypool is. He runs a four four seven. I think. Um, he spent the senior bowl making contested catch after contested catch. And, and part of the danger when you say this guy's a great contested catch guy, it means maybe he's not getting open. But these situations of one-on-one drills, he didn't have the opportunity necessarily to always get open. He can win at the top of his route, no doubt about it. But uh, I think you move him around that offense. I don't know if I'm making him play tight end. I don't know if he's a tight end. He hasn't done that. But I, I think uh, you move him around and, and make him like a chess piece and maybe have him run some of the similar – the same things that Evan Ingram does and then put him outside. And, um, you know, then the special teams aspect that we talked about, I think it's one more playmaker that makes this offense better and makes Josh Allen's job easier. And that seems like, you know, a win for everybody. That's kind of, you mentioned a chess piece. That's why I kind of like the idea still, even after the digs trade of LaVisca Chanel, if he falls to 54, because you're talking about a guy that, you know, a lot of people thought was the number one receiver heading into this year, or at least some people did. And so I think like, obviously the injury concerns are concerning, but when healthy in this offense, I feel like he would be such an upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie and some of the things you could do in the backfield with him that the value there at 54 is so high. Is that crazy? No, and you, but you hit on it, Matt. The, the issues are the injury concerns. So he ran that 4-5-9 at the combine. He plays a little faster than that. I think there was some conversation that he might run in the 4-3s, but we hear that about a lot of people. Uh, but as soon as he ran that 4-5-9, he says, I'm out, and then he had the pull up the surgery, um, which he, he needs to do. He needs to get healthy. Um, so again, and, and Ryan talked about this, how comfortable are, uh, being in the rest of the staff with taking Ch- Chenault in round two, if his medicals aren't where they want them to be. Um, I've heard people say that he might fall a little further than that. And, um, his versatility is, is impressive. He does a lot of things. And the counter argument to that is he doesn't do a lot of things necessarily well, like his route running isn't as crisp as it needs to be. Um, he was basically the only show in town in Colorado. Um, so he he had to do a lot of things, ran the shotgun, would often run, sometimes run the ball out of the backfield, line up at H back, slot outside, do all those things. And he's a playmaker. And in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Anquan Bolden um, in, in terms of the way he he plays the position because he's six feet, maybe six one, two twenty, two thirty. Um, so what if he runs a four five five? That's okay. I think more than anything, he has to be healthy. And if being in the Bills are comfortable with that, then certainly the second round. But if not, he he may fall to to, to round three. So <clears throat> we talked a little bit about running back earlier in the show, but I want to revisit it because it is ve- it is a very hot topic amongst Bills Twitter. Because you know, listen, the Bills filled a lot of holes, and the only thing that they really didn't address is running back and looking past Evan Singletary. Uh, a lot of people see TJ Yeldon and have some concerns, and and some of those concerns are valid. I've argued that you know if they don't land one of these top backs in in the draft, I think you could do a lot worse than TJ Yeldon. I mean, 900 yards, five touchdowns, uh, his last year in Jacksonville. 
Uh, he adds a different dimension to the offense than I think Frank, Frank Gore brought last year. And I was even begging the table that he should have gotten a little bit more time last year. But, you know, you look at the top of this draft and you and you look at uh, how many running backs could be gone. I think in both your seven and your two, you had two rounders. You had three backs gone by 54. Is there a scenario where all four, including Clyde Edwards, Hilaire could be gone at 54? Yeah, so let, let's go through this. So the Lions, they could take one. And this is assuming that one doesn't sneak into the first round. And maybe one does. I, I don't think so. Maybe the the um, Dolphins at 26 take a running back. I don't think they do. But Lions have the 30, uh, 35th pick. Maybe they take one. The Chargers at 37, I joke, maybe they take one. And that's not even that big of a joke. Um, and the Buccaneers at 45, you talked about them. So that's three right there. Then the Steelers are at 49. So that's four right there. If Everything goes exactly the wrong way for the Bills. Um, after that, the Eagles ain't taking one at 53, then 54 of the Bills. So will all four be there? No. Will one be there by 54? I think there's probably 45, 50% chance that they're all there. Um, I don't know if those are good odds or not, but I, I think at 54, you'll be able to get Cam Akers, um, Zach Moss, and uh, maybe one of the other guys slips. So it just depends on which guy that is, whether I don't think it'll be Jonathan Taylor. Maybe it's J.K. Dobbins. So I don't know if that makes Bill's fans happy or not. But at 54, two of the three of the guys that I mentioned, Zach Moss, um, Cam Akers, and then maybe J.K. Dobbins is there. So I don't know how that strikes you. I like it. I like it. I, it's just interesting to see, you know, I think that for so many years there were so many uh, holes and 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 just inefficiencies within the organization that fans had so much more to talk about than than they have now. But it, it seems like this is an area where that people really want to see uh, the Bills address at least in the second or third round uh, running back. But I think there's some some value in the fourth round, fifth round. I, I like what I've seen from A.J. Dillon. I know that uh, Marco Louis-Jacques, who I've, who I've had on from ESPN, who covers the Bills, he's very high on him as well, and uh, he watches a lot of more college football than, than I do. What, what are your thoughts on, on Dillon? I love him. He's uh, height, weight, Jerome Bettis, but he's not built like Jerome Bettis, and then he runs a 4-5. or five. He, he carried people up and down the field last year, and uh, he did it frequently. He's not much in terms of – he doesn't offer a lot in terms of the, the receiving game. Mm -hmm. That's okay. He got Devin Singletary. But if you just want to punish people – and we saw this at the end of games. Um, this is how the Titans whooped up on the, on the Patriots in that playoff game. This is how the Titans um, won a lot of their playoff games. They just dragged teams up and down the field because Derrick Henry was doing it uh, for the final 25, 30 minutes. And A.J. Dillon is that type of player. He's not super shifty. Um, but again, when, when you weigh 250 and you run a four or five, you're just crushing people and, and they don't want to tackle you in the third and fourth quarters. I, I like him. I like him in the fourth round. I don't think he's going to sneak in around three just because of all the other players that um, are top 100 players. But he had a great career at Boston College. And I feel like he's a guy who can come in right away as a running back and contribute from day one. Uh, another running back that the Bills have shown some interest in is uh, Darrington Evans from Appalachian State. Uh, they, they had some kind of video conference with him recently, so he, he's definitely on the radar. Uh, I'd like to hear some thoughts on him because I don't think a lot of casual football fans necessarily followed Appalachian State, so they might not know a lot about him. Yeah, he is the exact opposite end of the spectrum of A.J. Dillon. He's a small, speedy, one-cut-and-go guy, but he is explosive. He is a home-run hitter. He's sort of a mini-me version of Devin Singletary. So I don't know how many Devin Singletaries you want on a team. I guess you can never have too many. 
But um, if you're looking for a sort of a different flavor of ice cream, maybe A.J. Dillon makes more sense. But um, Darrington Evans had a wonderful career at App State. Great year last year. And that team is a good football team. So don't sleep on the, on the notion that they're not playing anyone. They play big schools, and they do really well against them. They have a linebacker, Keem Davis-Gaither, um, who is uh, about 220-ish. He was at, this, at the uh, Senior Bowl as well. Extremely athletic. Um, you know, we talked about Kyle Duggar. Uh, plays mostly safety. I don't know if Kyle Duggar have to kick inside the line or move down a linebacker, depending on what they want to do. But uh, Davis Gaither can do that, and, and he is a sort of complement to the other side of the ball. And we're talking about Darrington Evans in terms of the type of players they put out. But uh, yeah, I think teams are are they've known about Evans for a while. The media sort of just coming up on him. He might go in round three. He might go early, early day three. But uh, he he's a fun a fun player to watch and a home run hitter. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up here shortly. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. This has been so much fun. One more player specifically I wanted to ask you about, uh, Trayvon Diggs. Obviously, Stefan Diggs is uh, little brother. Uh, you know, th- this is something that's interesting because y- you, y- there's always the stock up and down reports, you know, as you go through the, the draft process. But this one jumped out at me uh, that, you know, you know, headlines that, you know, we could see him going into the third round you you in your seven round mock draft you had him going in the at the end of the first round this last week you had him slip into the second round how low could he fall why is he falling and could he be there for the bills at 54 i i love trevon Diggs, and people point to that lsu game as him getting um getting dunked on a bunch of times he didn't he played well in that game jamar chase i think was the one who scored the first touchdown uh against him it was a back shoulder throw at the one yard line and oh by the way joe burrow threw it Stephon Diggs was in a position to make a play. It was just a great throw and a great catch. Um, the issue is his deep speed. I You watch him play. He is strong, physical. Um, he's a playmaker. He's a former wide receiver. His brother, Stephon Diggs. I, I keep joking that I want the Vikings to draft him at, at 22 and then make him play wide receiver and wear his brother's jersey, but I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, uh, he he's a first-round player to me, and – I get it. Deep speed maybe is a concern. I've talked to people in the league that say he made a lot of business decisions last year um, at Alabama. I'm okay with that uh, because we're talking about Ter- uh, Terrell, uh, Terrell Lewis getting hurt because he didn't make business decisions. And, you know, there's a whole conversation we had about paying players and all that, but um, Trevon Diggs is healthy. So maybe he slips in around too because there's some concerns about the deep speed. There are no concerns about the ball skills or the physicality. He feels like a, a 49ers cornerback. He feels like a Vikings cornerback, these big, strong, strapping guys. Um, but if you got him in round two, I would be elated. If he slips around three, then something happened that we don't know about because um, it's nothing to do with on-the-field productivity. There are a lot of good cornerbacks in this class. Very few built like Trevon Diggs who can do what Trevon Diggs does. Very good stuff. Um, this was super fun. Uh, if you haven't joined us before, we are going to be live uh, every Wednesday night with our uh, Bills Talk podcast. Uh, it's a, a fun way to interact with you guys. We'll have guests on. Uh, in some cases, national guests. Ryan Wilson today. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Why don't you let everybody know uh, what's coming from you, where they can find you, uh, anything you want I had a blast, guys. Thanks so much for having me. We're keeping it real in uh, in central New York, so that's good. Upstate New York. Uh, is Buffalo? Buffalo's not central New York, right? Western New York. Yeah, you guys are Western New York. So I'm representing Central New York. You guys are Western New York. Yes, yeah, so I'm at CBS uh, Mostly doing mock drafts, but I write a few times a week about draft prospects and, and what's going on there. And then CBS Sports HQ 
draftcoverage.com is the CBS's 24-7 streaming sports network. We're doing a ton of draft coverage, obviously. We'll be covering the draft. Unfortunately, we won't be there in person. No one will, but we'll be doing that um, start to finish next week as well, so you can check that out. And uh, I guess Twitter is uh, at Ryan Wilson CBS if you're if you're dying to see pictures of <laughs> of uh, my kids doing things on, on while we're on lockdown that because um, I have nothing else to do with my time. Yes, he has a great follow. Make sure you get you get at him on Twitter. Uh, he'll have you covered for the next week. And guys, uh, if you are joining us for the first time, we are now live on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify. You can find Bill's Talk with Matt Perino. Uh, we'll get Ryan's name on there eventually. Uh, we had to launch it out there. He he joked the other day that he's uh, what was the joke, Ryan? Uh, I'm the Richter to your Conan O'Brien, and you know I don't I don't get that graphic, but I'm there. I'm in the chair now. <laughs> exactly, but he is just as important as I am. And uh, Ryan Talbot, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Uh, Ryan Wilson, thanks again for joining us, man. This was a fun time. Absolutely, anytime, guys. All right, take care. <laughs>